thank you for being here tonight, uh, especially you know to, to each of you who have driven any distance uh, or watching online. I uh, just like said the last number of weeks. Uh, previously, I had taken it for granted that I would have the opportunity to speak to other people about him. Uh, and I don't anymore. I think that is a really, I just thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I hope that you hear his voice through this time tonight. Uh, and I'm grateful for it. How many brought your Bibles with you? Yeah, we're getting more all the time. I love it. Uh, so I've been challenging people to bring a paper Bible with them because it's almost like these things are like antiques or, well, there are some that are antiques. But what do we keep saying? We got to get used to what? We got to get used to opening the book and we got to get used to opening our hearts to this. Not here Saturday nights alone. This is just practice. But that each and every day we're like, Lord, oh, my heart is open. Would you speak to me? And I, I believe that that can happen tonight. So we are in a series, um, finishing up the series tonight, actually on, on our topic called Treasure Hunting. And we talked a while back uh, in week one about the greatest treasure that we could ever know or find is Him. You know, once we get to heaven someday, should we make it, um, based on the grace of Jesus alone, we will find out that he was and is everything. We're not going to get to heaven and be looking for our friends like we think we are here, or that we're like, oh, man, I can't wait for my mansion. You know, he, he, like, you wanna, you'll slam the front door and be like, oh, it's, Je- it's Jesus. I just want to see him, know him, focus on him for the rest of it. Eternity is too short. That is who he truly is. And that treasure, he's given us the opportunity to know him now. And man, if we miss out on that, we truly miss out. He is the greatest treasure. And so we were talking about some tools, some tools for treasure hunting to help you find him every day. And uh, we talked about this thing called Sabbath. And what I wanted to explain tonight is that these are, these are tools, not rules. Because people are like, well, uh, what about the farmers who got to milk the cows? That's rules. We're not, we're not talking about, like, what if they didn't keep the Sabbath perfect? That's, that's not the point. Sabbath was meant to give you a rest, to delight in what, God, in, in what God's created for you, and to know him, to contemplate him. And then we talked last week about silence, and it was like, well, how many minutes? That's a rule. It's not about rules, and it's not about like how many minutes you did. It was like, did I, what did I use to get to know him? That's it. What did I use? So the tool, I want to introduce us to one final tool tonight that I hope... Uh, blesses you in your pursuit of Christ in the everyday outside of here. And we're talking about that. Before we get there, i got to start with a story. Because um, different people value different things. They, they, if I say, hey, what's your treasure? The different people have different things. For some, it'd be like, it's money. Uh, for some, it's that new car or that 74-old car, whatever. It's like this treasure, right? Um, uh, or for some, it's like, it's the, it's the i got to find a spouse, right? She's going to be the treasure, you know, uh, looking for, for whoever she might be. Um, for some, though, it's turkeys. I don't know if you knew that, but for many, uh, especially with the hunting season coming up, this is a treasure. It's like, we're going to find that perfect bird. We're going to hunt. We'll sit out in the bush from 4 a.m. till 8 a.m. for just a chance to glimpse one of them. I know, crazy people, right? I've, I've done it twice, never again. But I had a friend of mine, we were chatting in our men's group, and he was telling me this true story. He went out uh, turkey hunting for the very first time, and he got a Canadian tire and got a turkey call, and it was plastic, and he went out, and he, he sat out in the bush, and he's trying the turkey call, nothing, right? He goes back, and he asks his buddies, like, hey, how come, how, how come my call didn't work? He's like, you bought that? Like, that's garbage. You need one of these reed ones that you put in your mouth, and, and he's like, oh, okay. So he went home, bought one, actually bought one, went home, practiced all day, had to figure it out. The next day, he went out at 4 a.m. He's using the call, and he's like, nothing, 
He comes back and says, like, I got the new call. He's like, what's it sound like? He's like, yeah, it sounds right. He's like, how, but how much are you doing? Like all the time. He's like, that's the problem. You can't just call and call and call. Then they know it's not a real turkey. He's like, okay. So he goes back the next day and he calls less. And he hears the turkey. And it's calling back and forth. He's like, this is it. This is it. Nothing. So he goes back. He says to his friend, he's like, okay, I, I, heard, the, I heard the bird coming. And, and, and Nothing. He's like, yeah, because you need to wait. Like, once, you, once he stops calling, just know he's on his way to you, but just wait. You got to linger a little longer. And I was like, that's the title for tonight's message. You got to linger a little longer. Well, sure enough, he sat there, and uh, day four, he's like, sure enough, he waits again and calls, and then he doesn't hear anything, and he's like, I'm going to wait. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Nothing. So he gets out his phone, takes off his gloves, puts his gun down. He's going to text his wife, say, I'm going to be late. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and there it is. Like from me to Paul, not even. Like real close. And every time the turkey put his head down, he'd reach for a glove, reach for a gun, move slow, slow, slow. Boom! Boom. So tonight, I want to remember the turkey and the treasure hunter. The hunter and the turkey, because we have those two types of people here tonight. We got some treasure hunters here and we got some turkeys. Which one are you? <laughs> and hopefully by the end of tonight you will find out because tonight's message is to both. It's like a two-sided coin. It's an encouragement to the treasure hunters here tonight and it is a warning to the turkeys because there are both in the room and listening online. You know, and I, so I want to encourage you to take some notes tonight. Grab, grab something, grab your phone or grab a piece of paper. I mean it, take good notes tonight because I'm going to give you a number of scripture verses, but I'm not going to give it all to you. And I'd love for you to take it home and listen and you will not regret it. So the title of tonight's message is Linger Longer. And as I looked that up, I found there's a lot of things. There's a song called that. There's a farm named that. There was a resort, a card game, and now a message called Linger Longer. Um, the main point today is this. Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. Can we say that together? Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. One more time. Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger until the boom. Remember, think turkeys, think treasure hunters. Let's jump in. We're going to start with a story of a, well, we'll start with the turkeys first. In scripture, I don't know if you realize scripture is full of the stories of turkeys. And the first one, if you turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's close to the front. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find the first turkey we're going to look at, and his name's David. And David's kind of a paradox because David is the man who God said, this is a man after my own heart. He's like, this is the guy, like if there is somebody who's passionately seeking me, it's this guy. And yet we have this account of David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, where were they supposed to be? Normally out to war, right. So David instead sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites, and they destroyed the Ammonite army, and they lead, led siege, or laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. What happens here? Here's where we see David begin to linger. Late one afternoon, this is where it gets salty, uh, after his midday rest, David got out of bed, and he was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, as he lingered on the roof, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, and he allowed his eyes to linger. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And he allowed the thoughts to linger. Then David sent messengers to get her. 
And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And she had just um, completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Boy, there's a lot of details in the Bible. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I am pregnant. And there's the boom. Right? There's the boom. There, there's a guy who lingers too long in too many places until he longs to linger there and ends up meeting the boom. All of this happened because he didn't realize. He's like, David didn't know the point of tonight's message, which is what? Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. Yes, no, I would like some participation. What's the point of tonight? Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. Your heart's going to want to stay there. And then it keeps going further and further. And we see David's, we see David's, actually his moment where he destroys or totally affects the rest of his life in just a few short verses. It drastically affected him, but not just him. It affected the lives of those around him. He went on to murder this woman's husband to try and cover it up. He, uh, he uh, lost his ability to parent his own sons. So when they started getting into sexual deviancy, he wasn't able to tell them anything because they, they were like, oh, sure, dad, you should be the one telling us. And you watch what happens in his life. It's crazy. You read about this and you realize, man, here's a guy who had a heart after the Lord, but I bet you he asked this question, why did I linger in Jerusalem when I was supposed to be somewhere else? Why did I linger longer? You know, the second one we want to take a look at is actually the son that David had with this woman um, aptly named Bathsheba. So their son was named Solomon. And Solomon would go on to be the very next king of Israel, and he was known for his wealth and his wisdom, and he wrote some scripture for us. And he wrote scripture about how he noticed that, you know, the turkeys didn't go extinct in his dad's generation. It was like, yeah, dad's a turkey, and you know, he, he totally screwed up. There's never going to be any, I won't be, but what does Solomon notice? He notices in his, own, in his own generation, as he looks around, he realizes there's still turkeys in his generation too. So Solomon writes these things called Proverbs. If you turn to the right, you're going to find Psalms. That's a big book full of things. Uh, and right after that's Proverbs. And just go to Proverbs chapter 7, because here's where Solomon begins to let us know about some other, some other turkeys in Scripture. He says this, uh, Proverbs 7, he says, verse 6, While I was at the window of my house, I was looking through the curtain. What did I see? I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. Where is this going? Some of you are like, yeah, I, that's, I know that guy in our group, you know. It's not, hopefully it's not this guy. Verse 8, what does it say? He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. He says, it was twilight, it was evening, she was out looking for somebody and said it was him. What do we learn about this guy? Here he's like, I see a whole bunch of these guys with their buddies, and they're, 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 they're up to no good, but there's just this one guy who is definitely less smartest than the rest. And what does he say? He's like, he knows he's by her house. And instead of staying, you know, where he's like, you know, all the guys on one side of the street, like whatever happened on the other, he's like, oh, watch this. And he wanders over to the other side of the street. And Solomon's watching from the window going, what's, what's, what's wrong with this guy? And, and not only does he linger, he begins to stroll along the path to her house. He begins to linger a little longer. And what happens uh, later on, Solomon describes it and says, this guy had no idea what the main point is. If he could yell from his window, he would have yelled this. 
where you long to linger, I mean, where you linger longer, you will long to linger. Yes, where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. And what does he say? Let's go to verse 23. Or verse 20, uh, say verse 21. It says, so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. Verse 22, he followed her at once. Why? Because he had lingered long, and now he's longing for what he lingered for. And says he, he says he followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into the snare, little knowing that it would what? Cost him his life. Solomon's like, boom. You thought you could linger longer, and boom. You didn't think it was going to come, but it does. And so what does Solomon say? He goes on to warn his sons and anyone who would listen. And I love this, verse 24. He says, so listen to me, my sons. Pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray. Don't let them go down that path toward her. What's he telling them? Don't linger long in those places. Don't wander down the wayward path. She's been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. What's he saying? He's telling his sons, fellas, here's the main point. (laughs) Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger until the boom. Until the boom. You know, he goes on, and there's many, but I'll give you one more. Proverbs 23, just flip a few verses over. He actually talks about, in some where he's, in Proverbs 6, I believe, he's like, go to the ant. He says, if you linger longer in laziness, you're going to end up poor. Um, (laughs) That'll be the boom. But then he goes to this one in 23. Proverbs 23, verse 29. He says it this way. He says, uh, who, has, who has anguish or who has sorrow? Let me read in the, in, the new, in the King James, sorry. He says this, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who's got bruises and they don't know why? Who's got redness of the eyes? And what does he say? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine, they want to linger a little longer. You know, don't, and what does he say to them? Don't look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls, swirls around smoothly. He's like, don't, don't, don't get enticed. Don't linger longer in that place. Because why? He says, because there's a boom coming. Verse 32, at last, at the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like the one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. You ever, but you ever been around somebody who's so drunk? They don't, I remember at youth group, they brought a kid to youth, and he was like so out of his mind drunk. He's sitting there on the, on the sidewalk, and they're all comforting him because they're like good Christian youth group kids, and all of a sudden he falls like this, and bonk, head right off the concrete. And I'm like, that can't be good. And we're like, set him up, and then again. And we're like, leave him down, right? Like, but he was just like, oh, it's, it's, all, it's all fine, it's all fine. And I'm like, it's not fine. But what happens here? He says, they've beaten me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I what? I seek another drink. What, what's he saying? Like, the longer you linger, you're going you're gonna to begin longing. You're going to be longing for that. And he says, this is what happens to this person. Paul describes it later. You linger too long, and soon you'll long to linger. He says, it'll become your master. You'll become a slave to this thing. You don't even realize it, but there's the boom. Paul describes in his letter to the Romans. Flip over the New Testament, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, actually. 
Paul says this. He says in the, do I have the right verse? 616, I'm reading 516, there we go. He says this, don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? He says, but you have a choice. You can, you can be a, um, a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. What's he saying? The same thing. He's like, hey, this, this, this lingering, this lingering long, it leads to something. And it can lead to either becoming a slave of sin or to the slave of righteousness. And, and that's his point to these people in Romans. Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. I hope you like wake up in the middle of the night with that just going through your mind. Why? Because what does it look like today? What does it look like today? I mean, here's, here's biblical turkeys. What do they look like today? Those who linger longer on Netflix. You know who they are because they get to the end. They're like, I just got to watch one more episode. My kids, man, we watch something. The show is never enough. You gotta, we just got to have one more daily dose of internet, right? Just watch just one more. And then we watch the one more. Oh, let's just watch that. We've, we've seen that one. I know we just got to watch. It, it, it just so, like, it's such a natural progression. You know, it, 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 it's, it, the list goes on. You linger too long on the computer, too many end up watching porn. Why? Because they linger longer in the wrong place, and all of a sudden, the, they begin to long for something that, where they lingered. You linger too long at work, you just got to make one more dollar. Pretty soon, you're spending all your time there and missing out on everything that really matters in life. You linger long in that flirty conversation at work, pretty soon, you end up cheating on your spouse. You didn't realize that that was never how you wanted that to go, but there's the boom. Lingering longer in negativity, and then all of a sudden, you're depressed, or lingering too long in self-pity leaves you alone, and you're the only one who's pitying, pitying you. You know, li- lingering longer in unforgiveness, and it just ends up in bitterness, or fill in the blank. Linger long in whatever it is you know your weakness or your whatever it may be, the boom is bound to happen. And so maybe you're here and saying, man, I don't want that for my life. I didn't want to be one of the tricks. I don't want that for my life. Can I say that's a great thing? But not wanting it is not enough. Not wanting that is not enough. You have to want something else more. And I would suggest you have to want someone else more. And so here's where the third tool of our pursuit our treasure-hunting pursuit of Christ comes in, and it's this word called solitude. Solitude. Solitude is this this opportunity to to, uh, be alone, by yourself. It gives you the chance to linger longer in the presence of God. And guess what? You linger longer in the presence of God, there will be a boom, but it's the opposite of what every other one was. It'll actually guard your heart and protect you from lingering longer in those other places. So let's encourage the treasure hunters here today. Solitude is a state or situation of being alone, a lonely, uninhabited place, a place where you meet God and God meets you. And guess what? There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. You know what we do as Christians? So many of us will will substitute solitude with church. We'll be like, I went and did the service. I should be good. And you are missing out. Church is only the practice, the equipping to say, here's how you go do this at home. And man, I don't think we've talked about it definitely not enough in in our time together. But my heart and hope for you is that you experience treasure hunting the way it was meant to be, that you would know him. And solitude is the biggest part. You know the greatest longing in every heart? You know what the greatest longing in every heart is? It's him. It's him. We talked about it last week with Blaise Pascal where he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. It cannot be filled by any created thing. You try whatever, friendship, relationship, alcohol, abuse of any, anything, abuse any substance, it always leaves you empty. 
It will always leave you empty because it's only fillable by, by God, um, the creator made known through Jesus. And we see it in scripture as well. So flip back to the other side, um, all the way back to the beginning in Exodus chapter 33. Easy to find. It's really close to the front of the Bible. What's the main point just while we're getting there? Where you linger longer, you'll long to linger. Exodus 33, verse 7. Love this. It says, It was Moses' practice, his practice, to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Here's where they're camping in the wilderness, and Moses says he sets up his, the tent some distance from the camp, away from everything, away from the distractions. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And then just skip to verse 11. It says this, verse 11, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. Um, yeah, we'll just stay there. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. So here's where Moses is, sets a specific place. He's like, we're in the wilderness. We're all together. But he goes and sets up the specific tent where he goes to meet with God and to have God meet with him. What does he do there? He goes there just to be with God. He goes there to speak to God. He goes there to listen for his voice. And what does it say? It is his practice. It's something he's doing regularly. Why? Because Moses knows the main point. Where I linger longer, I'm going to long to linger. And if I got to choose, man, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. That's where I want to linger longer. I want to be in that place. And it says that that God would speak to Moses um, face to face like friends. That happened to no one else. Man, no one else had that kind of relationship with the Lord. And what did Moses hear there? He'd hear the promises. He'd hear, you know, the direction for, the, for the, those around him, where they're going. He would, he would hear the wisdom of the Lord. He got the, the commandments given to him in those moments. And as we sit there, we think, yeah, Moses. Well, of course. Well, of course. It makes sense that Moses is doing that. He's the leader, right? He should be doing that. But what's the rest of verse 11? Remember it said this, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. But afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. What? The young man, Joshua, who assisted him, the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. See, here's Moses. He's, this is his practice. This is his regular. But who's coming along? It's, it's Joshua. And he goes there. And what happens? What does it say about Joshua? And Moses is like, I'm, I'm done in the presence of the Lord. Joshua stays He's like, I want to linger longer. I, I, I don't know everything that Moses knows, but I know that I want to be in the presence of the Lord just a little bit longer. See, because that's where the heart work actually happens. I can tell you from experience, I've preached tons of sermons. I've heard myself preach tons of sermons. I've been so convicted, even by my sermon sometimes, or lots of other people's as well. I'm like, God, my heart is convicted. You know what to do. You know that I need something. And guess what? I leave and nothing happens. Why? Because the heart work doesn't happen here. It happens in those places of solitude where you're like, God, it's just you and me. And I want to linger in this place with you. God, have full access to my heart and do whatever you have to do. And he will change you. He'll change you. That, that's, where, that's where it happens. Joshua realizes he's not the leader, but he lingers longer in the presence of God. And that's where the heart work happens. Well, look at Joshua's rest of his story. When they go out and spy out the land, who's the one who comes back and says, I, I trust God, Joshua. Who's the one who later on is like, hey, we need a new leader for Israel. We pick Joshua. 
Who's the one who hears from the voice of the Lord say, be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you're going to go and take this people into the land? It's Joshua. Who takes them in and sees all the promises that God had made to them? Not a trick question. Who is it? Joshua, where does that happen? I believe all that happens while he's lingering longer. And you know what? It's famous. Joshua's known for all of this, all of this um, exploits that he does and takes Israel on the promised land. But he's also known for this verse we see on coffee mugs. Joshua 24, at the end of his life, he says this in verse 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. Man, he's been good and faithful to me this whole journey. I don't care who you guys want to serve. But I, man, I am going to linger longer. I'm going to linger longer because that's where I long to linger now. I, I, my life is to serve the Lord. I think about a man. He had this practice of this uh, that just went and only dialed in deeper as he went. And he's a great example to us, but there's one better. And we're going to finish with his, and that's the life of Jesus. You know, as you read through the Gospels, and I would encourage you to do so, you'll notice something about Jesus' life. There's a pattern. There's a rhythm. He, he would go into solitude. You see it in the very first early chapters. He goes into the desert. And what happens in the desert? He's tempted. He goes through some of this stuff. But it says he's led by the Spirit in the desert. Holy Spirit is like, man, we're, we're, he, he's, he's communing with his Heavenly Father uh, in the desert. And then what happens? He goes into ministry. And then it's like solitude. He goes off to find a place to pray. Then he chooses the disciples and they do ministry. Then he goes off into a wilderness to pray or to find different spots to be alone. It's this solitude, ministry, solitude, ministry, solitude, ministry, all the way through. You know what I believe? If Jesus had to do it, man, we do too. If we don't have solitude, believe me, the ministry side will be just our best efforts and it will not be enough. It will not be enough. We need that connection with him that's life-changing because he's the only one we can offer to the world around us. So what does it say in Matthew 14? Matthew 14, Jesus is, um, here's one of his accounts of, of solitude. And it's a really sad story. His cousin and good friend John the Baptist just gets beheaded. And Jesus just hears about it. Here he's doing ministry. Everything's good. And the guys come up and say, hey, Jesus, they just took off John's head. Verse 13 of Matthew 14 says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to where? A remote area to be alone. Where's he going? I'm going to solitude. Man, I'm hurting. I'm going to go grieve. He says, but the crowds heard where he was headed. And they followed on foot from many towns. What happens as he's, as he's going there, it says Jesus went out when he saw the great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. Maybe, and he healed their sick. He's like, here's a guy who's just hurting and going for solitude. And then a distraction comes. And I promise you this will happen in your life. As soon as you want to go for solitude, something's going to come and try and distract you. And we see it in the life of Jesus. He has compassion on these people. And then this is the famous story where he feeds 5,000 people. And then it says at the end of it, In verse uh, 22 and 23, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Verse 23, what does he do after he sends them away? He sent the multitudes away. He goes up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Where's he going? Back to solitude. He said, man, I'm going to go linger longer. Man, that's where I was headed. That's where I was going. When evening came, he was alone there. You know, Jesus, you, you, you hear him speak, he would often say, I only do what I hear my father telling me to do. I only say what I hear my father saying. Where is he hearing this happen? Where is he getting this thing of the doing? I believe it's in the solitude. I believe it's in those moments where those are the spots where he hears and he knows and he's listening to his father's voice and obeying it. And you're like, well, of course he should be doing that. It's Jesus. <laughs> 
But we learn that the disciples would follow his example. They would learn how to hear his voice. And he would tell them, hey, that you're hearing the voice of God there. You're hearing the Spirit. He's going to lead you into truth and guide you into truth. And they would basically hear his voice and obey it. That's really what the whole book of Acts is. The whole book of Acts is the disciples hearing his voice and then just go and be obedient and doing it. That's what it was. And he's like, well, of course that makes sense. It's the disciples. You know, it's actually meant to be the lived experience for me and for you as well, no matter how old or young you are. That is what is meant to be you. I hear his voice and I minister to people. And you're like, wait a second, aren't you the minister? We call you pastors now, but you're like the one who's supposed to do the ministry. You know, Gary talked about this experience in uh, his series, which if you haven't listened to the series he did this summer, you should. It is excellent. Um, it, uh, ta- he talks about keeping in step with Holy Spirit, listening for the Holy Spirit, keeping your eyes on him, and you will, you know, that you'll uh, uh, live out of that. But, but uh, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verse 11, he tells them, he says to them about this whole idea of who's supposed to be doing ministry He says, verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He put those in the church. Some of these people are in those positions. But why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Who's that? You. To do what? The work of ministry. You're to do ministry, Jordan. You're supposed to do ministry, Steve. George, you're a minister. We can call you pastor if you like. Pastor Barry. (laughs) You're to do ministry. To do ministry. That, that's that, that, that whole thought for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. He's like, every one of you has to do ministry. So just go back a few sentences, a few thoughts previous. What did we say about Jesus? How did Jesus do ministry? What was the rhythm? Solitude, ministry. Solitude, ministry. Solitude, ministry. That is to be our rhythm as well solitude, time with him, quiet, alone. Some of it's silence, some of it's talking, some of it's listening, but it is a spot where we are there to meet with him. And so my job as a leader is to best equip you. It's not to entertain you. You might say, this sermon sucked. I don't care, but I hope you wake up in the middle of the night where I linger longer. I'm going to long to linger. Duh! Lord, what does that mean for me? The best tool I can give you in teaching you how to do ministry is teaching you how to pursue him. That's it. That is the best thing. I could tell you, hey, this is how you shake hands at the door. This is how you hand a brownie. Doesn't matter. This is how you pray. These are the words used. Doesn't matter. He doesn't listen to the many words. We, we, this is how you show compassion. It doesn't matter if, it does, if it's not genuine. We can show compassion, pseudo-compassion, where we know, pe- we know we're supposed to care for that person who just got out of the hospital, so we'll call them, visit them, or whatever. But if it didn't come out of this genuine love and desire for them, it's just fake, it's false, it's empty, it's useless, it's worthless. It's just not. What do we need from him? Just filled up with him. What does Jesus say when uh, he's walking with the disciples? Stay connected to the vine. You don't bear fruit any other way. (laughs) So the best thing I can teach you is just stay close to the vine. I can't teach you how to bear fruit. You'll do that on your own if you'll get this one thing. And so truly closing with these thoughts, have you found a place of solitude where you can hear him? where you can know him? Do you have a place of solitude where you can hear him and then obey him? As I was reading through these things, they talked about how Jesus found the desert place. Paul spent time in the desert. Moses, time in the desert, in the wilderness before he ever took the steps out into ministry. All of these things, they all had these places of the desert. And we're like, where's the desert for us? As I was thinking about it, you know, I was reminded of the, the, the desert and the desert. And you're like, you know, how do you spell the d- desert or desert? Um, the, there's this clever little thing they taught my kids. It's like, 
Whichever one you want more, that's the one that has more S's. And you know, as I thought about that, I'm like, that is clever. Dessert, two S's. Desert, one. And as I thought about it in my life, mine has flipped the other way around after this last summer. I just want the desert more than anything. I want the desert more than anything. And what's my desert like? Let me show you a picture of my desert. This is my desert. This is my desert in my house. This is where I go every single day. I sit in that chair and I look at that window and I I just simply say, Lord, this is the place where I've come to be open with you, to meet with you, to be intentional. I'll spend time in silence there. On our sabbatical, I don't sit there the whole day, but I definitely spend time there each and every single day. Why? Because it's the spot where there's no distraction. It's a spot where I can just be with him. And some of you are like, well, isn't God everywhere? Exactly. The issue is not finding a place where God is. That's not what it's about. The issue is finding a place where you'll be present with him. The issue is not finding a place where God is. He's everywhere. So your desert place may be somewhere completely different. The issue is where do you have a place in your life where you are present with him alone? And it's not here. It's not here. And man, we need it. We need it so much. You know, a buddy of mine, oh, I was just so blessed by him this week. He, he texted me. He was, he's going through the worst thing you could go through in life. He was at a cancer treatment, and he uh, texted me after. I was like, hey, bud, how you doing? He's like, oh, I can't wait to talk to you. He's like, I got to share the gospel with somebody at the, at the, at the appointment I was at. Just can't wait to tell you about it. I'm like, man. But I also know that he's been lingering longer in the word every single day. What happens? And he just goes there, and he's got, just got Jesus to offer to his world around him. I absolutely love it. You know, the practice, let me just leave with those thoughts, the practice, the how. The practice of solitude is the practice of delight. Moses was a practice. This is something I'm going to regularly do. And maybe you're like, I don't, I just don't like it. I get that. But scripture is incredible with this thought. As you practice it, practice that delight, all of a sudden this changes. And all of a sudden you're like, man, I long for that. I long for that. Psalm 37, verse 4, famous psalm says this, delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's not Ferraris and money and houses. That's not what he's going to give you. He's actually going to change your heart. He's going to give you the desire that your heart most needs. And what is it? Him. All of a sudden you're like, ah, I desire him. I love it because like Jackie's been teaching precept classes here for years. And every once in a while we'll have people in there who start starting the precept like, I hate this. Why do I have to color things in my Bible? You know, like this is, I don't get it. I remember one gal, she's like, I just don't get it. She did a whole study and all of a sudden one day in the middle of the night, uh, however that works, um, she calls Jack, I get it. She calls Beth, I get it. I finally, I understand it. It's like, and, and, and hooked for life. Why? Because there's the boom. There's the boom. You linger longer until you long to linger. And then there's the boom. He speaks to you. He changes you. You'll never be the same. And I've said that before, but I live it now. You'll never be the same. And so delight yourself in the Lord. Find a place. Make a place that when you say, this is, this is the place, Lord, where I've just come because I want to know you. I want to experience your love. I want to hear your voice. And I'm willing to spend some time in silence to listen for it. And then, you know, you'll experience being connected to him. You'll see the fruit grow in your life. And you'll hear those instructions. It'll sound like this. Hey, I think you should text so-and-so. 
man, last week I texted a buddy like from our men's group. Hadn't seen him in a while. Didn't think anything of it. And he comes to men's group after. He says, I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for that text. But going into isolation, and I know I'm not supposed to. And man, I just, and I'm like, well, I just thought it was a text. I've had it there where I was praying for some of you. I've had those things where it's like, man, it's just like he drops her generosity where it's like, I, want, I just feel like I got to give this person gift cards. I know somebody's done that because it happened to a friend of mine. They're like, thanks for the gift cards. They're like, it wasn't me. I'm like, sure it wasn't. I'm like, okay. You know, but it was somebody else. What is it? You're, you're hearing him. You're hearing him. And to do it. And then finally, your approach matters. Let me leave you with this last tidbit. Psalm 25, verse 14. I think Brian shared this with me a couple of weeks ago, that the secret, Psalm 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The word secret there means familiar conversation, intimacy, that friend-to-friend talk. That's what he's saying. That, that, that friendship with the Lord, that secret, it's with those who fear him. Those who have a holy awe and respect and reverence of him. See, the realization we have is that he calls us friend, but he's still God. If you go in there like, hey, he's my buddy, he's my homeboy, he's, my, he's the big guy upstairs. <laughs> You're going before the God of all creation, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-together other incredible beyond description God of the universe. As you go before him, humbly realizing, man, Lord, I'm only here because you sent your son for me. You're the one who even made it possible for me to know you. And I just gratefully come into your presence. And he's just so eager, eager to spend time with someone like that. And I would ask you, you know, if you think about it in real terms, imagine trying to just push your way into the presence of any world leader. Hey, Justin, I'm coming over for a visit. No, you're not. The familiarity that we've created in North American Christianity that, God, we've just brought him down so many levels. When you go into solitude, you realize he's so many levels and he's welcomed you in. It is incredible. That is the incredible part. And so tonight, that's my question. How you doing with that? If I had answered that question two months ago, it'd be terrible. A big fat zero. Solitude, silence, Sabbath, none of them. And it took work, took effort, it was like, ah, I don't want to do this, but I want you so bad. Lord, this sounds weird to me, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to sit in that chair. I'm just going to be with you. How are you doing with that? You know, are you a treasure hunter, truly, every day? Man, I just got to know you, Lord. Or are you a turkey in the making where you're lingering longer at somewhere you shouldn't be? Where do you tend to linger longer in your daily life? And are you pursuing his presence today? Man, I think those are good questions for us to ask, good ones for us to contemplate, good ones for us to answer, and don't allow any guilt to come on you because that's not the idea. The invitation is like, okay, here's where I am. That's where I want to be. Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to know you and use my ransomed life for whatever you choose. And as I got my eyes on you, Man, the things of earth grow strangely dim, don't they? In the light of his glory and grace. 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I'm grateful for what you're doing in my life. I'm grateful for what you're doing in this church, in your church. Lord, as you draw us into truth, Holy Spirit, as you lead us into truth, (laughs) we see your power at work. This treasure that we have in these earthen vessels, we're, we're not all that, but you are. You are. So, Father, tonight I just pray over every person here. You know why they were here and what they needed to hear. If it was some of the words I said, or if it was just your prompting in their heart, Father, I pray that that they would take next steps, next steps in pursuing you, whatever that might look like. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for making sense in a world that doesn't. Thank you for making us alive when we were so, so lost and dead. You deserve all praise, all glory. We're happy, happy to bless your name no matter what we go through because you deserve it. You deserve all praise. God, I pray this in your name tonight, the name above every name. The name is glorified above all others. Your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a uh, few questions to put up on the screen. The first one's the one I always say is most important. Lord, what are you speaking to me tonight? What are you speaking to me tonight? And maybe, you know, as you drive home, you're not turning the radio on. You're just driving with that question in mind. You know, or the other ones say we put that in there. And just in case there's people in groups who want to have some, they need to get something started. Here's some other questions for you. But Take the encouragement or heed the warning, but don't leave without thinking about it tonight. Thanks for being here. Look forward to uh, seeing you guys next weekend. Actually, next weekend, Zach Brown's going to be here. The Zach attack is back, and he's always good, so do not miss that. Uh, I have a wedding, but I will be back after that, and we'll be uh, talking about the vision of our church moving forward and uh, excited about doing that with you. So.